you, so you can turn there. We'll, we'll jump in in just a minute. But first, if you were to consider the phrase, Hail Mary, those of Roman Catholic background would think of a prayer to Mary, the mother of Jesus. But those on the sporting side would think of probably you know, a last-ditch effort, slim chance of success, but it might work. It works sometimes. So with regard to that, I asked Pastor Adam if I could use this picture from back in October 2016. His Tennessee Vols were down by 17 points to Georgia, but they come back and they win it on one of those Hail Mary passes. But Pastor Adam, being the humble guy that he is, said, well, you know, instead use this one, 2017. UT in Florida, oops, the tables were turned. The dear old Vols went down on a Hail Mary as well. So the tables were turned there. So these Hail Mary passes sometimes work. What does that have to do with this morning? This morning we're going to see what we're going to call Satan's Hail Mary. His last ditch, last grasp, last draw, last try. One that should have minimal chance of success, but it does, unfortunately, succeed more than it should. So if some of you are thinking, you know, Satan, Hail Mary, that doesn't quite make sense. Well, yeah, I chose that title, and then Adam mentioned it in his Wednesday word that that's what the title was, and so I was committed to it before I could change it. So hence, I got him back with that picture there. So... But there is a point to it, which we will see. So first, let's, let's think. Let's go way, way back, background, to the garden. And our Westminster Shorter Catechism says this. It says, how did God create man? All right, and here's the answer. And hear this triad in this answer. God created man, male and female, after his own image in knowledge the head, righteousness, the will, and holiness, the heart, with dominion over the creatures. Satan, the ultimate deceiver, showed up from the beginning, attacked Adam and Eve through deception from the beginning, and he will continue to do that until the very end. How do we see that? This morning, we'll look at 2 Thessalonians. So I invite you to stand now. Chapter 2, we'll read verses 1 through 12, where Satan, his last-ditch effort. Paul writes, God speaks to us this challenging, challenging passage. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. 
Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You may be seated. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, may we be ones this morning, not just with Bible in hand, but the Word of God in our hearts changing us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thinking about that effect of deception on the head, the heart, the will, I think back years ago, Don and I, on our honeymoon, Day one into the honeymoon, we arrive at the airport in Cancun, step off the plane, and somebody invites us, hey, come for this free breakfast, a short presentation, and you'll get tickets. Oh, you got it. I didn't get it. Um, they, and, and wave runners. Okay, you go free wave runner ride. So that, go the next day in that short presentation that you caught that I wasn't ready for, after an hour and a half or two, is still going. But... We're starting to think with the head, we could make this work. We could maybe change this and do this with the accounting and do make, oh. and then our heart, well, we deserve vacations. Yeah, we, we, should, we should probably do this. We deserve vacations. And then the will, all these other people in here, they're making it happen. We're going to make it happen too. So fortunately, we both look back and say, man, God, I think it was the Holy Spirit. You just rescued us. Because something just clicked for both of us to say, you're 36 hours into being married and you're about to go into debt. You don't need to do this. And the Holy Spirit rescued us. But you could see where the head, the heart, the will had been deceived into thinking of going that direction. So I invite you now... Keep your Bibles open. There's an outline in the bulletin. And we're going to walk through this text of the deception of Satan and his attempt towards that. Right off the bat in verse 1, we see that the Thessalonians were shaken and unsettled. And another accurate way to put that was that they were scared out of their wits. Whoa, why? Because they thought that they had missed the second coming. They missed it. Like being on the Titanic and the last lifeboat had gone away, they were left behind. And they were scared. But Paul in verse 2 says, let me offer correction here. I don't know where this has come from, but somewhere in the church, 
there's either the spirit, prophecy, or someone has sent a letter, written word, or someone has given an oral word that has deceived you. Do not be deceived, church. Do not. That's the theme of the passage. Don't be deceived. Don't fall for it. And he says, there are three things that need to happen first, and if they haven't happened, the Lord Jesus has not come. Let's keep it simple there. He says, first of all, the rebellion must occur, number one. Number two, the man of lawlessness must be revealed. And number three, a challenging one, the restraint or the restrainer of the man of lawlessness must be removed. That has not happened yet. And this rebellion, this apostasia that he was talking about, the apostasia or apostasy, you hear that root word in there, means an abandoning of a position formerly held. And when we talk about that in Christianity, we talk about somebody who's affirmed or professed faith, but then now is against it, has walked away and said, That's the, I, I don't believe it, I don't believe it. And we might think, well, wait, can that really happen? You know, I think of the once saved, always saved, right? Yeah, that's true so far as it goes. But when we emphasize that, it almost leads one to say, well, if I just pray a prayer, I can do whatever, and I'm going to heaven. And that's why the Reformers likely, like, uh, rightfully emphasized, let's call it what it is, perseverance of the saints, those who God has, he will keep hold of, and they will persevere till the end. They will not be those in this apostasia. So the emphasis there is, one, God has a hold of them. Two, they will persevere to the end. Okay. So is this apostasy happening now? Let's look at this in our own time frame. Is this going on now? Maybe the jury's out on that, right? I mean, we look around with all the things going on in the world. It's not as easy to be a Bible Belt Christian, right? To just show up to church and it's easy, easy. There's a cost now to being a part of the church. There are many who say there might be 30, 50% of people might be coming back once this shakes out, if it ever does. But there are many who are leaving the church. It's not as easy. There's a cost to it. Hmm, there's been a cost to it for the worldwide church. Look at our brothers and sisters around the world who are persecuted life or death to be a part of the church. Is this apostasy happening now? Maybe, maybe not. But what about the second one? The man of lawlessness. If we look in verse 4, we see the audacity of this man of lawlessness who will set himself up as God in God's temple. Now, the readers here would have some picture of that if they studied their history, because there was, back in 167 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes, the abomination of desolation, where he went into God's temple, erected altars to Zeus, an abomination. They had a picture of what this might look like. Or Pompeii in AD, uh, B.C. 63, he went into the Holy of Holies itself. And then in Acts, Herod Agrippa, you might remember that story, where he comes out, uh, history says he was dressed in this robe that was so shiny, 
and glittering in silver, the sun shining on it, gives this magnificent oration. And the people say, the voice of a God. Whoa. God killed him by having him eaten by worms because he did not give praise to God. So the people would have a picture of this kind of audacity, but not to this level that the man of lawlessness will reveal. In this, this reference here to the temple, that he will go into the temple, it is one that nowadays, mo- a lot of, not most, a lot of people are saying, well, let's see what's happening in Israel. Maybe Israel, land, nation, temple, reelect the temple. Ooh, the Antichrist, man of lawlessness, is going to go in there and do this. So eyes on that. Maybe, maybe not. I think it's probably bigger than that because the Thessalonians, the temples over in Jerusalem, when they hear this, I think they're thinking bigger picture. This man of lawlessness is going to be so big, he is calling all governments around the world, all religions, worship me. I am God. That's what we see here. He puts aside the other gods, worship me. Have we seen that yet? I don't think so. Is it coming? Yes. The second coming is imminent. Is it likely to happen tomorrow? Based on what we're seeing in the passage? I don't think so. I'm, but that's not for us then to say, okay, I can relax and not live the way God wants me to. We are called. The coming of the Lord Jesus is imminent. But Paul was giving a warning here to this church that had gotten a little off the rails. The third thing is this, that with the man of lawlessness, his effect is there now, but there is a restraining force and then a restraining one, it looks like in the passage. It's one of the most challenging parts in the passage. Okay, there's partly it looks like a force, partly it looks like a person. What, who, who's that? Some say it's Satan who's kind of got the leash on his beast. Some say it's the church. The church will be removed, and then this goes wild. I think the simplest answer is probably when we look at Revelation 5 and 10 with the seals, and God allows them to be opened, that is part of God's plan. His sovereign plan is the restraining force, the restraining one, is God himself. He's in control of all things. But this lawless one, he's an emissary of Satan. Revelation 13 talks about a counterfeit trinity, the dragon, Satan, false prophet, and the beast, the antichrist, the man of lawlessness that we're seeing here. But here's a powerful thing to keep in mind as we look at verse 8. What happens with the lawless one. If we remember back to the call to worship we read at the beginning, it simply said, he will be killed by the breath. And Paul takes that part from Isaiah, that prophecy, and then interprets it right here to say, Jesus will, not the ungodly one anymore, but the lawless one, he will slay with his breath. Paul is highlighting the power 
of the Lord Jesus to overthrow the lawless one. Not just put him in a cage, but kill him, destroy him violently. That's what he deserves, and that's our Lord Jesus. Knowing that, knowing that, it should be done. But here's the Hail Mary that shouldn't work. If we go on in the passage after this, Paul explains kind of a little bit back in time before Jesus slays him, here's what he's going to do. Watch out for this. Watch out for this world. He will do three things. There will be miracles. Okay? These miracles show a great ability. This isn't just little magic tricks like here's this card, this stick turns to a snake. These are big deal miracles. Evil has some power. There are signs. Signs point to something beyond what's done. It's pointing back to the lawless one, how powerful he is. And then there are wonders that inspire awe. This guy will be quite powerful. But the deeds are false. Not because they don't happen and not because they're not powerful, but because they validate someone whose message is a lie and whose end is destruction. So simply put, to follow the man of lawlessness is to live a life without God and in opposition to his will. Sadly, verse 10 tells us, because of this deception, because of being deceived, they refuse to believe the truth. Not just, well, we made a mistake. They refuse to believe the truth. And this isn't just an abstract, abstract, you know, well, there's a relative truth, there's an absolute truth. No, this is the truth of the gospel. The gospel, the lying between life and death, between saved and perishing, they say, no, we refuse to believe it. And in verse 11, admittedly a challenging phrase there. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion. God does not cause their unbelief. He is not the author of evil, but he does set the stage to demonstrate it so that they openly show their own refusal and condemnation. He allows them to seal it. We see that throughout Scripture, hardening of Pharaoh's heart, where he chose and the heart is hardened. Such is the power of depravity. It is not just that they will not be saved. They don't want to be saved. They want eternal life, not salvation through Christ. The world wants eternal life, but on its own terms, not God's way. The eternity that our world wants is the Roman kind. An eternity of sensual pleasures after having experienced that here on earth. That's the eternal life the world wants. Verse 13, next week, will give us the good news. So Pastor Adam will get to come with the good news, but for now, this is kind of like Good Friday before Easter. A sobering passage, a warning, a beware. A beware for us now as we consider application of this point. 
Somebody said once, sin is omnidirectional in its tactics. Sin is omnidirectional in its tactics. And when I think of that, I think of good old Luke Skywalker. He's training there, you know, with his lightsaber. And that thing is just zapping around all over the place, shooting here, spinning around, shooting there. It attacks him from everywhere. Sin is that way. Sin is omnidirectional in its attack on us. And so we're going to look at three ways of application here. Remember the head, knowledge, the heart, holiness, the will, righteousness. God made man with all of those in innocence, but now they have been stained by sin. The first deception in the passage was that these Thessalonians believed something false. Paul had told them the truth. They forgot. They were deceived. There's a problem with knowledge, deceptive doctrine. Machen says, false ideas are the greatest obstacles to the reception of the gospel. So as we think about the, the attack of sin on the head, we're going to think of an attack where are we vulnerable and what's our defense. Attack, vulnerability, defense. Attack, deceptive doctrine. Ask yourself, are you able to pick out bad doctrine? Does it even matter to you that doctrine could be bad? Our vulnerability, we could say, is biblical illiteracy. And we're not just talking about, oh, you know, illiterate, well, the, the old joke about, well, gullible's not in the dictionary, oh, I got you, it's just a little game. No. Being biblically illiterate is life or death. Not knowing God's word for a Christian is like an athlete who doesn't work out. It's an oxymoron. It should not be. 35 years ago, Neil Postman wrote, in amusing ourselves to death, that we adore the technologies that undo our capacities to think. 35 years ago, long before this, he was effectively a prophet there with that statement because how much more can we not just sit still for a couple seconds? I got to do something. I got I to be entertained. Sit still with God. Sit still and know God's word. The defense. So there's attack, our vulnerability. What's our defense? To know God's word. Kasuki Koyama, in his book, wrote about God moves at three miles per hour. God moves at three miles per hour. What? Slow down. Slow down in Bible study this week so God can catch up. Slow down so God can catch up. So we hear him. Our lens through which we look at scripture, God's word, it's, it's our life. It's not just go to scripture, I want to find a, bur- a verse, so I now have, can I have allegiance to a certain political party, to a certain cause, to a certain gospel that isn't really the gospel. Scripture is our life. And Paul's reminding them, how can you remember something if you haven't already known it? If we're going to remember, we need to know it in the first place. In encouragement, there are some folks in here who are Bible scholars. You've forgotten more Bible than I know. 
So be encouraged. Be encouraged, those of you who are cherishing God's word. For others, what are we willing to do so that next Sunday we come in here, we know more Bible than we did today? There's our challenge. Will you with me know more Bible next Sunday when you come in than you did today? Let's do that together. So that's the head. That's the thinking. That's the attack of sin, the omnidirectional aspect of sin. But next, the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, the beast, goes after the heart. Verses 4 through 9, he erects himself and worship me. Worship me. Deceptive power, signs, and wonders. The things that the Antichrist offered were powerful. They were supernatural. They were amazing. Deception is the alluring mask worn by evil. And piety, piety nowadays is such an old-fashioned legalistic word. Piety, that's legalism. We just want grace. Sloppy, floppy grace. Hmm, that's not grace. That's not grace. Grace caught our, cost our Savior. Grace motivates us to live for him. So our vulnerability, admittedly, is a love of the world. Love of the world. I feel like it. I want that. I'm going to go for it. Love of the world. Ask yourself, where are you most likely to get deceived? Be honest. This matters. Where does the devil have a possible hook for you? Superman kryptonite, Samson Delilah, Adam and Eve of fruit. What holds your heart? What holds your heart? And is your heart now soft enough to hear the things of God? The first book in the Chronicles of Narnia, the magician's nephew, the one, usually I think, ah, it's the boring one, skip that one. But Uncle Andrew, there at the beginning, and the longer and longer and the more beautifully the lion sang, the harder Uncle Andrew tried to make himself believe that he could hear nothing but roaring. Now, the trouble about trying to make yourself stupider than you really are is that you'll very often succeed. Uncle Andrew did. Soon he couldn't have heard anything else, even if he had wanted to. That love of the world can get our heart where it will not be soft to God. The defense, so there's the attack, the vulnerability, the defense, and affection for God. Jonathan Edwards, years ago, had 70 resolutions that he wrote out that he would go over from time to time so that he could be thinking of heaven and my Savior. Because as we dwell upon something, that motivates us toward that. That's what we become. I must think about it. I must meditate on it. The defense to meditate so that we develop an affection for God. Lastly, the will. The third, the omnidirectional attack. The will. The righteousness. The attack, deceptive choices. Deceptive choices. Because you remember in the passage, they just plain refused to believe. That was their will. They refused to believe. Deceptive choices. The story goes of a, an elderly carpenter 
who had done magnificent work for his career. But he goes to his boss and he says, I'm ready to hang it up. I'm ready to retire. And, you know, I'm, I'm done. It's been good, but I'm, I'm done. Um, and the boss said, well, will you do one more thing for me? One more. Okay. I want you to build one more, one more house. One more house. He says, okay. His heart wasn't really in it. This master carpenter, master craftsman, he did shoddy work, kind of cut some corners, didn't use the best materials, just got it done. So when he's done, the owner came to him, said, looked it over and said, here, here are the keys to the house. That's my gift to you. It's my gift to you. He was embarrassed. He was shocked. He knew how to build it, but he wasn't willing to follow the truth of what he had learned. The will matters. The will matters. Had he known the consequences of unwillingness to finish, well, he would have offered a willing heart. The vulnerability. We can have trouble. It's hard. I'm not saying this is easy. This can be hard. We have trouble holding to the right thing at the right time. It said back in the 19th century, there was such a scourge of Rocky Mountain locusts on the train tracks that the trains would just spin. Their wheels would just spin. They're trying. They can't get anywhere. Sometimes it's hard. We're trying. We're trying. We have to persevere. Is your will set that you will persevere and follow truth to the end? So the defense, finally our defense, the commitment to the gospel, to growth in grace. Are you committed? Am I committed with my will till the finish, till the end for growth in grace? Andy Crouch, author, pointed out this. He said, if there's anything that COVID has shown... Okay, now, this not saying this is why it happened or why COVID happened. No. But he says, if there's anything that COVID has shown, it has shown the value of patience. He points out that good cultural change takes time and patience. And he kind of compares that to we tend to prefer the carbonation fast versus the fermentation slow slow. Good cultural change takes time, takes patience. Brothers and sisters, for us in this calling to watch out for deception, to remain faithful requires patience and perseverance. Let us help each other towards that. Let us pray.